Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Manchester United's topsy-turvy start of the season continued since our last episode. Eric Ten Hag made several changes to the team that knocked Crystal Palace out of the Carabao Cup before recalling some key names and losing to the same side just four days later. I'm your host, Dale O'Donnell. I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Murphy and Jonathan Strager as we try to dissect the existing problems at Old Trafford after a miserable start to the season. Johnny, I'm sounding quite down with that intro. Things aren't good at Manchester United, but SN Royalty here on the panel. It's been a while since we've had you on the Strati cast. How are things doing? Yeah, it's good to see you, mate. Yeah, it's uh, I'm a miserable bastard generally, aren't I, when it comes to being, you know, talking about United. Even don't go on Twitter anymore, as Brian mentioned before. I've been absent on there. So um, it's actually nice, though. Occasionally I do... You know, I'll just be walking the dog and I'll think I'd fucking love to have a bit of a rant now or just vent some stuff because so it's only me and my old man that end up boring each other with the same criticisms or a couple of the lads I go to the game with. So, yeah, occasionally it is nice to talk about United, even when it is talking about the woes. Um, but, yeah, it's good to see you. And uh, despite all that's going on in, in the world of United, it's still good to see you anyway. Johnny, for all the time I know you, um, there's been some bleak times that we've witnessed at games at Old Trafford. Um, You're always someone who, I think, tries to see a positive light in bleak times. Um, Is it all doom and gloom? Can you see any positives right now? Yeah, it's almost like the decade that I've known you. Obviously, this isn't a direct reflection on yourself, but I've 
increasingly been beaten into submission, haven't I? I'm I'm sounding like a flipping pessimistic bugger now as well. But no, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because for year on year, I mean, the irony is I, I didn't know you during really any of the really good times. I, I only really got to know yourself during the Moyes season. So it's been, I mean, you could say it's been all downhill since. We've had a few peaks and troughs, obviously, along the way. But no, I'll never be fully negative when it comes to United because I still think there are positive elements. But the problem is it's such a, there's such a litany of malaises within the club that it always seems to conspire to kind of, and it culminates in this, bad period of form and as you know yourself that's always exacerbated by our fan base especially online who tend to be prone to a bit of melodrama and and just the noise around the club whenever anything slightly negative is going on uh, just kind of compounds it makes it seem a lot worse and it probably is it's probably never as that's the thing with us when we're doing okay we tend to overhype it and when it's bad it's just chaotic and doomsday, isn't it? But the reality is, even last year, and I think this is probably part of the problem, I think it's probably disproportionately inflated our expectations. Because if we're being realistic last year, I know we got into top four, but it was an, an anomaly of a season. Because you had Chelsea that just fell off a cliff. Liverpool were shite. They were sort of dealing with their years of, of being drilled into the ground by a clock. Uh, Tottenham obviously were between managers and kind of trying to refine their selves. Um, and so really we kind of crept in there on the back of being okay. When Marcus Rashford won us a load of games, 1-0 or, you know, he was on form. But the reason I, I tweeted, and I won't go on too much, but I remember at the start of the season, I tweeted that if we get fourth again and maybe a trophy, even though that wouldn't represent progress to the fan base on the surface, I'd probably shake your hand for that now because I wasn't, I didn't have any lofty ambitions of, of pushing forward and maybe challenging Arsenal for second. And because I just kind of felt last year, you know, we kind of, we, we eat our way over the line again. And you can never rely on Marcus Rashford to have consecutive good seasons. So we kind of relied on him last year. And I always had a feeling maybe we won't get the best out of him this year. And unfortunately, I'm not saying that I've been proven right, but it's looking like we're going to struggle even more than I'd anticipated. I thought, you know, maybe we'll comfortably look like we're going to get fourth. Now, flipping Nora, on the basis of what we're seeing at the moment, who knows where we're going to finish? I know there's injuries and stuff like that, but and we'll get on to that. But yeah, so that's my kind of synopsis about the current situation. I was reasonable. I was reasonable, John. <laughs> Um, well, I was so, going to say I was going to say burn the ground down first, but I mean, <laughs> I thought I'd preface it with something moderate. Very good. So, look, we're going to get on to the back-to-back games against Crystal Palace because that's what we need to catch up on since the last episode. Brian, let me get started on that Carabao Cup win. It's a competition we thoroughly enjoyed together last season. As United lifted their first trophy in six years. Personally, I think it's too soon for us to be labelling a, a Mickey Mouse trophy or anything of the sorts. But do you have the same emotion with the League Cup this season in terms of wanting United to go all the way and, and to get another trophy, as Johnny said, he would shake your hand for? I suppose, Dale, 
Last season, there was a bit of a novelty around getting to cup finals again and, and the excitement around the fan base of having that big day out at Wimbley, which luckily we were, we were both there in attendance. And it was it was an f- absolutely brilliant day, great day out for everybody involved. Um, historically, it would be it would be viewed as a second-rate competition, obviously, in comparison to the FA Cup. Are we in a position of arrogance that we can turn our nose up to the Carabao Cup currently? Absolutely not. Um, if you... Someone passed a comment to me during the week and it shook me to my foundations that we've become Spurs, which is horrible to hear. A a little bit of a cup run, possibly a cup trophy, try our best and get top four and move on to the next season and start again and start again. And you know what? I shit and all that sounds, it's not too far off the mark. Spurs with with a leaky roof. Yeah, we're Spurs with a leaky roof, yeah, and an extremely inflated uh, wage bill. Yeah. I'd, yeah, I, I wouldn't be turning my nose up at it at all. I, I hope I go all the way. It's another day out, especially for, for match going fans. Getting a, a good old cup final day out is always welcome. So I'd love it. I think a bit of silverware is badly needed to keep the spirits up some bit. It keeps Tin Hag justifying the means to, or the end his means by saying, look, I'm providing silverware, even if it is only Carabao Cups and, and potential progress on the pitch. Um, And it was, you know, that, that cup game during the week against Palace, it was so badly needed like with the start of the season we've had it was the first game where i could actually just sit back and enjoy myself i could just spend 90 minutes watching football thinking this is great we're playing well these crowd we're playing against their shit they're up to nothing we're going to steamroll them and it, it allowed players on the pitch for the first time this season to express themselves a bit it gave them a bit of freedom but i think the confidence came up as we went one nil up and two nil up and Instead of being in that kind of situation where we have been for the rest of the season where they know that any slight mistake is going to be magnified a million times and it's probably going to cost us the game because it's such a knife edge, it looked like the, the, the shackles were off a bit more and possibly, I suppose, the change of personnel to a lot of lads coming into the, to the game that are vying for more minutes, they're probably more inclined to give a bit more extra extra effort and a bit more passion and desire on the pitch than those boys who are getting paid a hell of a lot more than they are week in, week out, who, who are ahead of them in the pecking order. So probably something we need to look at going forward. Is the pecking order correct as we stand? But for certain positions, I don't think so. Um, but no, I suppose in, in general, the Carabao Cup, it's it's something I hope we go on and take relatively seriously. Pending, well, actually, we've taken properly serious now because we got the Geordies in the next round, haven't we? And we know this is their cup final, and they'll be looking to try and dance around in fountains somewhere and frolic around half naked around the streets. So, hopefully, it's raining to give them their wishes for that one. Just sticking on that, um, in regard to personnel and that game, the Carabao Cup, I would go as far as say, was though it doesn't say much about since what we've seen this season, but it was our best performance of the season. I'd look back at it, and you'd, you'd be fairly hard found to get any negatives from it. It was mostly positive. Um, Johnny, will that raise questions down the line for Ten Hag in terms of what players he can trust? Because in that game, in the Carabao Cup, he made seven changes. And Hannibal and Mount came into the starting lineup. Um, Amrabat, I know he came in at left back and he did a great job and an awful great support to Casemiro. But some of those players didn't feature at the weekend and we got a completely different result and got a drop-off in performance. Do you think this will raise questions about his trust? I mean, I'll try and keep it specific to the game, even though obviously this this opens a very broader topic of 
you know the personnel and and who we all probably think should be starting etc um like Brian sort of alluded to there it was nice to watch a game it kind of felt a little bit I know we all harp on the Fergie days but it felt a bit Fergie-esque in the formality of it it felt like oh this is a formality uh, Palace at home and, and kind of you know a bit arrogant I suppose we used to rock up to these games and just presume they were formalities Nowadays, we, we very rarely take anything for granted, but it felt like that in the middle of the game, how comfortable it was. You know, I could go and make myself a cup of tea and I wasn't on a knife edge thinking, we're going to fucking throw this away again. So it was nice in that regard. Um, but I don't know. I just think it's just... It, I worry about... I worry about Ten Hag, to be honest. I like him a lot, and I'm by no means... I'm pro Ten Hag, but I worry about what the club might do with him. Because I suppose it shows how fickle we are as football fans. Ten years ago, we always kind of scoffed at the Carabao, didn't we? Whereas nowadays, it's like Brian said, we're in no no position to be able to look down on that as a tournament. And in fact, we, we, we relish getting to a cup final, but... I just worry with Ten Hag that some of the signings he's made coupled with, if he doesn't get fourth this year and he only wins the Carabao Cup, who's who, who knows what this board will do? Especially if there's a lot of rumblings online and there's a lot of online reds that are expressing disapproval. We just, unless the fans really can rally behind Ten Hag and show they support him regardless of the league finish, I fear that the, the Carabao Cup might not be enough, unfortunately. Do you think the Glazers would sack him in the financial situation they're in? I suppose, yeah, that, that is another element, isn't it? Um how many years have they just off how many years have they just given him contract wise? They just uh, extended them, didn't they? I think there's reports, yeah, there's reports I think there's reports the other day of talks of a new contract. So like I'm sure, I'm sure there's a, there's going to be a hefty compensation package you'd have to pay, and and looking at the way they're trying to cut corners, the club now and potentially sell a stake of it. Um, I, I don't know would would they go that do they want to go down that route again? I mean, I hope not. But if if they've learned anything from previous, well, I am with you. I am with you. It's something that I would worry about. It's something I would worry about with them because Ten Hag is someone that you know posed this potential takeover. Once the Glazers are gone, hopefully they do go. He is someone that I trust with eventually leading this club in, into into a better future without them. But right now, it's a very difficult task to achieve that. It's, it's as we all knew when he came in. It's it's not even about whether he's a good manager or a progressive manager. Or it, it, it's just a very difficult club to run. I mean, if you just look in the short term, I mean, forget all the the kind of, you know, the, the domestic abuse and all that kind of problems that he's had to contend with. He's got the Jaden Sancho situation. We all know about that. And now he's got this Marcus Rashford conundrum, whereby we can all see that the fella is struggling for form and his, his body language isn't great. And, you know, we, we've seen other, other assertive managers remove players in those situations. But the fear with Ten Hag is that he's probably that enthralled to Rashford as the darling of the club. He's probably scared. He's probably treading on eggshells to actually give the guy a rest and then try and, you know, play him back into form rather than hope that he's going to just hit form by just continually playing him. 
And so he's got all these different political elements going on where he's having to deal with it. And is he going to be strong enough to deal with all these things? This is what could be his undoing, unfortunately. Yeah, and there's not there's not um there's not any manager to be honest that I would tip to be able to do that job. And to, and you know, if you really think about it, it's such a big ask and we've been complaining about the Glazers for eighteen years. The club as we, we we can see it around the stadium that it's in absolute wreck and they don't care about it. And this has been the case for some time. I I don't think it's possible that one man can fix that on his own. Um, Brian, Harry Maguire earned his plaudits, and some argued, in hindsight, I thought, um, that he deserved to start ahead of Lindelof at the weekend. Is that a sign of desperate times calling for desperate measures, or do you think it was warranted after his performance in the Carabao Cup? I saw the strangest anomaly on Twitter that I've seen in quite some time the weekend. I've spent two years watching Harry Maguire get absolutely lambasted from corner to corner. I can't say I'm not being guilty myself of giving him a bit of shit at times. Coming off the weekend or the summer where he was going to go to West Ham, if reports are to be believed, he asked for an absolute bumper load of money not to go, or to go, sorry, which the club weren't willing to give him. He became a pariah at the club to the fan base. Everybody hated him. Fuck Harry Maguire. Get out your shit. You're the worst centre half I've ever seen in my life, which is a bit much, to be fair. Um, the only thing you can't really trust him to do is go on holidays in Greece, I think it was, but... I saw this this outpouring or outcry on Twitter of why is Maguire not starting? What's Lindelof doing that side? Maguire should be starting. And I just looked at it and I was like, what the fuck am I reading? This is, is this the Twilight Zone? Like a week ago, he was literally the worst footballer that's ever existed. And a week later, our fan, or not our fan base, but a, a segment of it, are crying that he's not starting. Make up your minds, lads. I mean, the fickleness of football is horrific at times. He either is or he isn't shit. I mean, there's no middle ground. But Well, you know, the, these are the, the scenarios as well where Ten Hag can't do right for doing wrong. So imagine yeah. if he plays Maguire and he has a stinker or he scores an own goal and, and that's the one goal that loses the game. Then the geezers are under even more pressure. So Absolutely. it's like he's going to constantly be treading on eggshells with all these different situations until until the sort of the, the seas calm down a little bit. Yeah, and, and it, it is a sign of the current times where, I mean, obviously Tin Hag has got a, a squad that's getting more threadbare by the week, although we're starting, we might be just starting to get a couple of players back, but like he's gone through a rough patch of injuries, so he has to manage the squad as best he can. He has to select personnel the best he can regarding fitness and who suits what position and whatever other options he has to look at, but... Do I think Lindelof is a better centre-half than Maguire on paper? And, and overall, probably yes, given the fact that Maguire's form has fallen off the planet for the last year or two. Maguire isn't a bad centre-half, and I'm, I've been beating a drum for a long time about him. I think he should do a Chris Smalling. I've said it enough times, go to Italy. A, a league that would suit his game so much better, his pace, his stature, he'd be out of the English media's focus. I think he'd just have a much happier life over there. and It would suit him. I'm, I'm surprised he didn't leave the club. And it's it's difficult to who to believe and under reports that like is Harry Maguire fighting for his place. If you listen to Eric Ten Hag, Ten Hag didn't really want him to leave and was happy for him to fight for his place. But like any guy with a bit of self respect, if you've lost the captaincy at United, you, you, you just go. Like I mean, that's it's a kick in the bollocks big time. But he stuck it out, and in fairness to him, he's not caused any waves. He's not coming out to the media having a pop at everyone. So I can only respect that because 
contrary to some other players we've had through the last few seasons who've taken to Twitter and their brothers and their sisters currently. And, their and currently, yeah, getting their goldfish to release reports and, and, and cry about not getting game time and whatnot. I'll give him credit for that. Um, but I, yeah, you're right, Dale. It probably is a sign of the times that arguing about should we have Maguire or Lindelof starting, it's a bit desperate. It's a bit desperate. But again, come on, we've Johnny Evans is a red and he hates Gozers and he's back in the side. So rolling back the years, bring back, bring back Laurent Blanc for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, but look, look, the, the other side of it too is it, you're right about the fickleness because at the end of last season, especially when Martinez initially got that metatarsal injury, Lindelof came into the side and went through a very, very strong run of form. He's playing very, very well. And he, we've been so misfortunate that look, a number of other topics we're going to get onto in, in a moment, different players. We're talking about players, again, that perform, we're used to performing at a higher standard. They just aren't clicking. Lindelof could be one of them. We've now found out that Martinez returned and wasn't fully recovered. And we were scratching our heads a few weeks ago on the podcast so why we weren't seeing Martinez anywhere near as good as he was last season. Now it's all starting, the jigsaw is coming together. And it's not pretty. Um, you know, I was at Old Trafford on Saturday from feeling under the weather myself to the weather being shit at the game. It got from bad to worse on the pitch. I thought we dominated for the most part. Um, we conceded against the run of play, ultimately failed to break down a side that we scored three against last Tuesday night. But, Johnny, do you think, again, we're kind of f- f- folding back to social media, but was there an overreaction at the weekend? In in the spirit of full disclosure, I wasn't even at the game at the weekend. I had a, a distant relative here from uh, Houston, so I don't know if that's a good thing that she spared me. Of, uh, yeah, I think so. I think that's a positive. Yeah, so obviously I I watched the the quite sparse uh, highlights in inverted commas that that match of the day offered, um, and I had to turn it off when Micah Richards was doing some type of faux sympathy for United, where he was saying, "Oh well, I hope they get back to being good soon," and I thought, "Fuck off," and then I just had to turn the telly off because. I just think he's taking the piss. I'd rather him laugh at us than than do that kind of act. So I saw bits of it, but from the bits of reaction I saw online, I will have to ask you guys to tell me about it. Some, I mean, it's mad, isn't it, how we all, our perspectives on football, because people can watch one game and someone can say, Dalot is the second coming of Cafu. And other people can say that, you know, it's like watching... I don't know, Gary Neville trying to play right back now. It's like, you know, some you can get this contrast of opinions. So sometimes I'm reading it and thinking, fucking hell, what actually happened at this game? I, I needed to see it with my own eyes because I heard some people say Amrabat was terrible. Some say he was the best player on the pitch. Some say that flipping, like I say, Dalot. Some are saying it wasn't actually as bad as some people are making out. But ultimately, I suppose the result is what dictates the mood and it's the same old story. We just can't break it's teams down. It was a very frustrating game, but I have to look back to some games that we even had under Ferguson, under better seasons, right, where we just would be unable to break down the opposition. We create chances and they wouldn't, they wouldn't come off. And one of those days, and my friend who I was at the game with said to me about half an hour in, it's going to be one of those games. And that's exactly what it was. 
you know, it was really frustrating. I think there was an overreaction, but just to for me and Brian to maybe you know elaborate on what what we've seen. Um, fans piled on on Marcus Rashford for one on social media. I suppose you could say as per usual. Um, but saying that, I can't get my head around some of his body language at times, and there could be more to a player struggling with form when it comes to Rashford. Um, Brian, do you reckon there's something in that? You mentioned someone a minute ago in Lissandra Martinez. There was more to it. I mean, we weren't aware that his injury was still kind of niggling at him, which is it's one of Tin Hag's things that he does with injuries. He plays his cards very close to his chest, fails to give the fans information on the length of time players will be out and whatnot, which does cause a little bit of confusion and possibly a bit of, I don't know, a bit of anger maybe towards the injuries. Like, you're, when is he going to be back? How long are we without him? And it's another topic for another day. But on the Martinez situation, we didn't realise he was still struggling. And now, it, like like you said, jigsaw comes together, pieces make sense. And now it's perfectly clear what was wrong with Martinez. I mean, the player he was when he first came, the player we saw was phenomenally aggressive and tenacious and dogged. He's kind of looked like he's been minding himself a little bit for the last while. And now it makes sense why he's obviously still struggling. So... To lose him for another potentially two to three months is a massive blow. Rashford, I think I can sum Rashford's situation up quite easily. In Marcus Rashford is the pictorial evidence of a dressing room that's in disarray. It strikes me that he's he's the visual the visual we're seeing of what's coming behind in the dressing room, and I do honestly believe with all my heart that there's massive issues in the dressing room. I think they're, we're going through another situation where Jaden Sancho's situation hasn't helped us. He's obviously going to have his, his defenders in the ground or in the team who are going to go against Tin Hag's opinion on that. And other lads will be against Sancho. Some will be backing Anthony and his issues. Some will be going against Anthony. Some will be throwing up questions. Why is Anthony back in the squad when Greenwood couldn't? Obviously, there's realistic answers for that, but just hypothetical rifts in the camp. I think it sums up the whole side at the moment. I think the whole team looks like a team that they just don't look like they're bothered. They're just going through. The shoulders are down. Heads are down. No one looks like they're arsed. And it just stinks of a side that looks like they're not getting on with each other and that there's no harmony in the background. I mean, you see a, a side that's plugging away and really performing, playing expressive football and playing nice, nice explosive football. You can see by the, the way they interact with each other, the way they pass to each other, the way they link up. These boys love it. They're informed, they're confident, they're happy in themselves, they're happy in their career, they're happy at their club. You put a couple of rotten apples into the into the dressing room and, and things start going wrong. And like we've we've beat the drum about the issues Tin Haggis had to put up with since he started with us, which most managers would probably have walked away from by this stage. It's it's been phenomenally bad. He's still holding it together himself, but are the team are the team working for him? Could be a, an ugly question to come up quite shortly in the season if things keep going the way they're going. Um, the other question that's going to be thrown up, of course, is judging by Tin Hag's demeanour, he's a guy who does it my way or the highway. Very, very much assured of himself. Very confident in his own opinions, his own ability, his own direction. Is there a tipping point where eventually he says, you know what, I'm better than this. Shove it up your arse. It, it bothers me. It's, it probably bothers me more than the club sacking him because I don't think the club is, as you've mentioned, probably financially in a situation to sack him. And also you have the element of who the God's name do you bring in next or who wants to be attached to this poison chalice of managing Man United for the last decade. So I'd fear for that situation, but I'd be very, very much watching 
Tin Hag's demeanour as things go on because I think the likelihood of him walking is a, whole, a lot stronger than him getting sacked and that bothers me. Johnny, would you share Brian's concerns about the dressing room? The dressing room, I don't know. I mean, it's an, it is an interesting point to ponder. I mean, it's all speculation, isn't it? But with like Marcus, obviously he's, he's an ally of Jaden, isn't he? They're, they're good buddies. So... You don't you don't like to think that that could affect him. And actually, if you think about Marcus, even probably since the start of the season, he's not really been he's been off the boil, hasn't he? So I'm kind of hoping that that hasn't impacted his attitude towards playing. Um, I just think with Marcus, it's just he's just a typical player. I mean, we've seen it. He's had seasons where he's on fire, and then he goes missing for a whole season. And, and sadly, it's looking like it's going to be one of those seasons for him where, you know, he was on fire last year and you just can't rely on him to give you two successive performing seasons. And, and last year, we heavily relied on him and now it's showing that we haven't got any other goals coming from elsewhere, really. Obviously, Bruno pulls out the shit occasionally, but it's um, I, I agree with Brian with, with Ten Hag. I mean, the guy's a very composed guy. And I don't think we're ever going to get to the level of like a Mourinho where he completely, the you know, the combustible character that was Mourinho. I don't think he'll completely lose his temper or flip his lid. But he might just get to the point where there's no way when, if you remember when he got the job, they made a big deal, didn't they, in the press that Ten Hag had interviewed us as much as we'd interviewed him for the role. Now, if you just yeah, sat there with him and said, okay, uh, Eric, in your first 14 months, we'll give you all these players, you'll get X amount of money, but you're going to have to deal with the biggest brand in football, kicking up a fuss and questioning your managerial ability, Ronaldo. Uh, we've made a bit of a bollocks with the, the captain situation, so unfortunately we're going to have to let, leave you to deal with that as well, which is going to be a bit awkward for you because he also is a place for England. Um, you're going to have a player come out and basically question whether you're telling the truth on social media. Oh, and also you've got your best player probably in the squad. Um, he's just not going to be available for you because he's going to be involved in, in a domestic abuse type situation. And you're going to have a play you sign for 100 million. Or, you know, I mean, it's you couldn't script. If a manager had to deal with one of those situations in 14 months, you'd say, fucking hell, he's been unlucky there, hasn't he? He's The, the geezer's having to deal with like a veritable soap opera. And can can we just add as well, Johnny, that he's come from a club where he's been successful with a proper football and structure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, throw that into the mix as well, that the guy's probably arrived and all these things he's been promised have probably disintegrated in front of him. I think the most telling thing with him, where's our recruitment? Like, every player we've bought has either played for him or he's had a thing for, you know, like with the Mason Mount thing. He had a bee in his bonnet, didn't he? Mason Mount scored a goal against him, and I have to have that player now, even though I think we all question that as a signing for the money. Like, who's saying... Uh, when we bought fucking... I mean, I'm probably, again, I'm, I'm just throwing it back to decades past. Where's where's Ronnie Johnson and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer? Who's coming to him and saying, I've got these two Scandinavian lads that could be worth a punt? Not one that's going to cost you 60 million for Atlanta, the whole year at once. Like, where, where's our scouting system coming up with the goods? Do we have one? You can, you can, we, we threw that back 
in a recent episode about Brighton, where Brighton seemed to pick up all these players for relative buttons in the current market. But yeah. the, the, the counter-argument I gave to that one is, it's gone to a stage at United. I think Matoma cost him two million. If United buy a left winger or a right winger for the first team for two million, the fan base would literally cause anarchy. I think we've, I think we, the days have changed Johnny, these days where I don't think the fan base are as acceptant of buying clever players or buying, making clever signings and hoping that they work out. And if they don't, you can offload them. We've become a club who just go out and spend a truckload of money, throw a massive wage at them, hope it works. More often than not, it hasn't. And then we get stuck with them because we can't shift them out of the squad again and they rot in the team, which is an, accumula- an accumulated problem through Ed Woodward's time of his fantastic contracts he's given out and the things we can do in the transfer windows that no other club can do. Well, it's come home to roost now, Edward. We're, we're stuck with a load of players we can't shift, which is causing us massive problems to reshape a squad. It, it's killing our recruitment. And it's also, I suppose, puts a big neon sign over Old Trafford to any potential player coming in going, well, these boys are going to give you anything you ask for, as much money as you want. And you can, and you can stay for as long as you want. Fred, Fred agrees with us. Fred, Anthony Martial, yeah, not so leader. Right? Not so leader. Look, lads, more enthusiasm than Anthony Martial shown shown for a long time. A bit of bite. Um, no, we, 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 we need a bit of bite in the side. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. He's, he's got a lot of red cards, but you'd enjoy watching him. So look, without further ado, I'm going to jump into the question section where our listeners have kindly requested some of their own submissions. Starting off with Dave Cleaver, for yourself, Brian. Keeping in mind the criticism of the boss from some quarters, should we replace Steve McLaren with Michael Carrick? <laughs> I thought he was going to say, should we replace Ten Hag with uh, McLaren or should McLaren? Go on. <laughs> That's a question from left field, that one. Um I definitely don't have an appropriate answer. Should we replace Steve McLaren with Carrick? Uh, no. Carrick showed great promise with Borough at the start, but they've fallen off the planet recently, as far as I know. Form has gone out the window. Big fan of Michael Carrick as, as a person and as a player. Um, hope his coaching career goes from strength to strength. I mean, obviously, he's got to cut his teeth first and, and learn his trade, but I don't think I don't think there's any possibility in the world that you replace Steve McLaren with Michael Carrick, to be honest. If... Actually, why why are we replacing Steve McLaren? By the way, what's Steve done? Who's Steve after? Who's dog did Steve roll over? Poor Steve. But I think the question is coming from the promise that Carrick has shown as a coach. Now, personally, what I would say is from the work that he did last season and, and the promise he has shown, I think he's beyond the stage of of coming in to be to be United assistant the manager, the, the number two somewhere. I think he's yeah. trying to pursue his career elsewhere and maybe a job like the. The vacant one at um, Rangers could show up at his door because look, I, I know maybe they haven't started this season well, but um, you know, Carrick did do well in his first year. Yeah, he did, no, hundred percent. And I, I was at Chelsea away in Stamford Bridge when when Carrick was over to decide for the game. I loved it, and one of the things that Michael Carrick did that day, which enamoured himself to the, the fan base so much, is he came in dressed in the club suit, and it just showed a bit of respect and a bit of class about him that. He knew where he's. He knows where he's from. He knows where he's come from. He knows the history of the club, and he came out on the sideline in a fantastic black Man United suit. It stuck with me ever since. It just shows the kind of the character he is. He's. He's. He knows where he's set. 
he knows where he's going. I think he's got a good a good mind and a good football brain. I definitely think he's a guy who's got a career management ongoing, but um poor old Steve McLaren hasn't got long left of him in the game. Leave him alone, Dave. Give give him a give him a break. It's not Steve's fault. You're all right by me, Steve. Johnny, um, McLaren's not a bad egg, is he? No, uh, though it is a coincidence, this question, because I was thinking about Steve on the weekend, not uh, not in any passionate moment or anything like that, just, um, <laughs> just uh, you know, with regards to United, uh, I'll make that quite clear, uh, because I remember when he came in and things, you know, as you get all these wonderful PR stories, don't you, when things are all rosy, and I remember... I remember Ten Hag saying that Steve was the guy when they were at 20 who would, oh, no, wait, no, it was the other way around, wasn't it? Oh, maybe, maybe that's why he isn't getting the advice because it was it was Eric that was giving Steve the bits of advice in game, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So I was thinking, why is Steve not giving these bits of advice to Eric in the game, you know, to change the game for us? I've just realised. Well, well, no, you, you, you are on to something because how it worked was McLaren got the managerial job at 20. Yes. He wanted someone there of that knew the, the Dutch way of thinking in his yes. staff to give him advice. Now, Ten Hag coming to Manchester United would have fed on McLaren in the same way, surely. Yes. You know, as someone who understands English football, who understands the club, so it does kind of it does work as the, what you I think were alluding to. Yeah, I suppose like the the cultural element, and I hate you know it's a bit cliche, isn't it? But the philosophy of the club and all that. But I mean, McLaren was there during the peak times, wasn't he? The treble and Fergie, and and you would like to think that, especially with some of these, maybe maybe he has influenced Eric's kind of hardline stance and said, listen. When I was here under Fergie and everything was A-OK, the manager took no shit. So, you know, stick to your, stick, you know, don't don't kind of um, relent or accede to these players. You've got to be, you've got to, you've got to have the hard line approach. But as we know, football's different now and player power and all that shit. And I, and I just worry if this carries on and he's reluctant to drop some of the bigger players, in keeping with what Brian said, it just might get to a stage where he thinks, I'm at a club where player power just rules. Um, there's all these things going on. I really hope he doesn't throw in the towel. I don't think he will. He seems a pretty resolute character. And I don't think he'll want the stain on his reputation, will he? Because he had obviously such a... He was like the next big thing, wasn't he, after Ajax? So I hope we don't tarnish that for him. But um, yeah, with regards to McLaren... It, I'm sure when things start going right again, we'll, we'll maybe hear a bit more. He's probably happy to be in the shadows a bit more at the moment, isn't he? Hey, let's not forget a few months ago, we had Benny McCarthy. Almost, people almost calling for a statue for him. So that's the yeah. game we're going back to how fickle the fan base can be. Um, Johnny, just sticking with you on this one, it's a question from Kate Gabby. How much of a problem is Jaden Sancho? It's all context. It's all contextual, isn't it? Because he's probably... It, the sad thing is we're having this bad vein of fawn at the moment because that gives him a little bit of... a little bit of credence, doesn't it, to come and say, well, look, I'm not... I mean, we all know that Jaden's underperformed massively at United, so it's hardly like he can come in and swing the door open and say, listen, you need me, play me, because he's not showed it at United. But it does, unfortunately, give him a little bit of... 
gravitas that we aren't doing well with or without him, really. So he can come back. He can still make that claim, even though there's no actual evidence to support it. And and it probably is a problem for him. Like Brian touched on his pals with Rashford, who's the darling of the club. Um, and he apparently it was all claim, the claims around favouritism, wasn't it? It wasn't just the lack of training and commitment in training. It was this idea that he's playing his favourites, Anthony, I think, being the obvious one. But Anthony put... I don't think any fan on the planet would have chose Jaden over Anthony. Because ultimately- Johnny, just on that, a quick one. Do you think in the recent weeks we've been a better team with Anthony not out, not in it? Because I certainly think we're miles off without him. Even worse yeah. than what we were. Exactly. Yeah. No one's saying that Anthony's the next flipping Rivaldo. We know he's not. But my goodness, you see something from him on the pitch. You see a bit of desire. You see a... And I know he's a bit frustrating and a bit of a one-trick pony at times. It frustrates the hell out of you. Because if he did go on the outside a bit more, he could really twist up these fullbacks. He's a bit of a one-trick pony, but he's got something. And I think we can all see that, you know, there's a reason that he's been playing him. One of the funniest things about it was Sancho threw his knickers off trying to get back in the side just as Anthony was pulled out of the side by the cops. So if he'd have kept his mouth shut and kept his head down, he'd have been straight back into the team and given his chance. But he had to go on Twitter and flap his gums and call the gaffer a liar. So it's a, it was a curious coincidence of timing-wise for, for Jaden Sancho. I think that Brian shows more petulance on Sancho's side with all of this and his kind of refusal and stubbornness to not come back out of it and issue an apology. Because as you say... The opportunity is that was there for him in recent weeks to stake a claim and get his United career back on track. Do you know, it, it reminded me of, um, do you remember that, was it Netflix or Prime series where Danny Rose came into Jose Mourinho in the, in, the, in the gaffer's office and demanded to play and I'm this and I'm that and I'm better than this. I smiled when Sancho was having this issue and I was like, this must be what the Danny Rose Mourinho situation felt like where the manager's looking going, why why are you doing this? Like, you've been absolute dog shit. You're nowhere near as good as we thought you'd be, but yet you've got your chest pumped out saying, I should be starting. You shouldn't be starting. You 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 earn your way back into the side. And like Tin Hag said last, or during the week there, when he was asked about players getting into the side and getting a break, with him, you have to earn it. You don't get it just on, on name or whatever else. You get it by showing you deserve it, spending time earning it, showing that you've you've put in the hard lines and put in the hard effort, and then when you do get a chance, you take it. And to be fair to Jaden Sancho, he hasn't taken it. And he's been given he's been given an arm around the shoulder. I mean, he can't accuse Tin Hag of showing favouritism to Anthony when he let Jaden Sancho take a three-month hiatus and as quietly as can be, took him out of the spotlight. Then when he came back, threw an arm around the shoulder, some very good visuals that game where he came back and the two of them smiling at each other, which was, it was heartwarming to see because at the time we were all thinking, Jesus, I hope Sancho comes out the other side of this a better player or, or back to the player he was. And instantly you you got confidence in the fact that he looks like he's really getting on with Tin Hagen. Tin Hagen himself looked like he had a great relationship and Sancho looks like he's really up for getting back into this side. And then he became an over-expensive Oberton again. So it's it's a difficult one to view really from the outside. But I'm sure there's more to it than meets the eye to. I mean, we're only getting the snippets that we get from the press. So... There's probably a lot more going on in the background than we see and, and then we hear about until someone releases a book down the line. Well, ultimately, I think what, what it all leads to when, when we hear of players siding with Sancho and kind of drifting away from Ten Hag and 
it's all speculation but what it all boils down to is player power in the modern game and it's something that's grown through agents and 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 through popular players you look at Sancho he came to came to United I think he was 21 when he signed and you know almost earning 300,000 a week before he had really kind of made a name for himself in the game he was still an up-and-coming target where you know, this is where Ed Woodward was at fault with contracts. You know, United don't offer insensitized contracts where players come in and still have to go and prove themselves. It shouldn't matter if you come in as, I'll use Bastian Schweinsteiger as one example because he came in with a big reputation, but it shouldn't matter if you come in with a big reputation to this club. You should, should have to prove yourself. You know, we, we, we made some kind of, as you could say, signs that kind of accept the rule Rafael Varane and Casemiro coming in with a wealth of experience in the Champions League to give us that kind of winning mentality but as for the others the Sancho's the even the Rashford's the Granacho's and all that put them on incentivized contracts so that they remain hungry and determined to go on and fulfill their promise you know I think at United they can come at very young age and it's almost a happy place to have a dead end it's like a retirement, a pre-retirement home. It it shows as well that our wage structure, our lack of wage structure, is a massive massive issue with the club because, like you said, you arrive there on three hundred thousand a week. Nobody should be coming to that side on three hundred thousand a week unless they've proved it year after year that they're phenomenal players. I mean, it's obscene money. I know we're looking at it from like normal working class wages, but it's it's literally obscene wages to be on. You're not going to get that at any other club in the world. I mean. No one else is going to give Jaden Sancho three hundred thousand pounds a week. It's as simple as that. Except Man United, where our our lack of a wage structure because of so much hassle. I mean, I'm envious of other clubs when I see that they do have a wage structure in place. And if you're coming to the club, there's no doubt about your 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 mind frame when you come. You're not coming for this big flashy three hundred or four hundred thousand pound contract. You're coming in to get a wage relative to the, the other players at the club to become part of a team, and then hypothetically you go on and earn a bigger contract because you've you've lit the place up we don't do that you're dead right we don't and it's a wage structure issue which we've smashed more often than not by giving inflated contracts to I mean, David De Gea's contract was fucking it was insane I mean it was borderline insanity what we did with De Gea don't get me wrong great player fantastic goalkeeper gave us some brilliant years but you can't be giving a goalkeeper that kind of money I mean that's Mbappe kind of wages for me you know players that are the Galacticos of the world, not not your fucking keeper. Well, we even tried to walk that one back, didn't we? By then giving him a subsequent contract with reduced wages, which is like even more of an insult. I mean, every possible conceivable way that we could balls up the running of a football club post-Fergie, um, we've pretty much ticked all the boxes, haven't we? And it's just, the, it's a vicious circle, isn't it? Because well, sadly, with a lot of these players... We've cultivated this player power, sadly, with our actions at the, at the board level. And, it, you know, the biggest precedent with it was was the Mourinho-Pogba thing. Um, they essentially backed, I mean, I know it's a bit black and white to kind of paint it in these terms, but essentially they backed Pogba over Mourinho, if we're going to boil it down to one instant. And, and I mean, even before then, that player power had been growing. But I think ever since then it's just been exaggerated to the nth degree that basically if you're a player and a brand at this football club um, 
you will be prioritised over everything else. Um, and sadly, when things are conspiring against us and everything's conspiring and the player, you know, the, the team isn't successful, that player power just spirals out of control because the club acts out of desperation. We've seen them do it multiple times over the years, whereby they're reactive to situations and they hand out contracts because they're shit scared of losing players and prized assets and brands and and it's just a it's just a vicious circle and just a, like a, a litany of errors. And sadly, it's culminating. And we, we kind of hoped last year with Ten Hag to put a bit of a brighter note on it. That, you know, every year that we can cement a little bit more success and every year that we, we kind of move further away from the Woodward era, maybe we can start to pull ourselves away from that and wrestle a little bit of power back towards the manager and the people running the club. And we can kind of resume this balance of power that we had under Fergie, where miraculously they kept the wage structure amazing throughout all those years. All these superstars, and they never managed to, they always managed to just keep it at that level to the point where even Martin Edwards didn't even sign Batistuta because he knew that that would ruin the chemistry of the club and the, didn't want to piss Roy Keane off because he'd be on double Keane's wages and just always managed to do it perfectly. And ever since then, we've just fucking. With all, all the good things we did, we've just thrown out the window and, and gone against every rule that we created. So I'm hoping Ten Hag can wrestle it back from here. But it's hard because he had a good first season. Maybe we overachieved a bit, but it was good. We were really hoping on building on that. And he's going to need to pull it back a bit this season to get some momentum back in our favour. Johnny, we have another question in kind of sticking on that and sticking on player power and problems in the dressing. Fabiola, who writes about the academy for Shorty News, asks, should we at this stage with multiple managers sacked for results be pointing the blame at players? So is he asking it the question kind of suggesting that it is players more than the manager? Is he trying to... She would be suggesting that... It would be a matter of the players being at fault. Yeah, I mean, you know, as Roy Keane alluded a few years ago, that they were, you know, they did oh. it to Mourinho, that they'll do it to Solskjaer. Yeah, did he say the leopard doesn't change its spots? Kind spots, of thing? Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, there's an element of that. We've still got a core of players there that they've been here before, haven't they? It's not the first rodeo. When times are hard, the you know the toys come out the pram and. They're not quite as um, up for the fight as we'd all hope they would be. So, yeah, there's, there's the players are definitely at fault. But we can't. I mean, I love Ten Hag. I think he's a great manager, but he's not faultless. I mean, you've got to judge games in isolation as well. And I would question a couple of the players that he's bought maybe aren't quite what maybe what we needed. But, you know, and, and there's always there's always excuses or factors, injuries, like Brian touched on before. But, yeah. There's a core of players there that have let managers down in the past. And, and there is a likelihood that if things start going tits up again, that, you know, they, they're not going to start pulling him out of it. They're not gonna, I don't think they're going to start trying to pull him out of it again. So I, I do think there is potential with a few more bad results for things to, to start going pear-shaped, sadly. Is the only way this changes, Johnny, through transfer windows? I mean, we've seen... Jesse Lingard got out, Pogba, Dean Henderson, you know, players that have been either yeah. rumoured to or, or blatantly been dickheads, for want of a better word, that have been shifted out of the squad. Ronaldo, another one, Ronaldo had to go. I mean, 
the more time Tin Hag gets and the more we stick with him, pending results obviously don't go to the absolute toilet for the next couple of months. But let's just say that things pick up a bit and we kind of even out the keel a bit. I think over the next few windows, he's going to start shifting out players again who he identifies as issues and problems and players that are trying to steal that power away from him. I mean, at the end of the day, it's his job to run it, not the players. So I could see him... I can see I can see Sancho going in January, if I'm honest. I really can. I mean, I thought at the start it was... I thought it was kind of exaggerating at the start when this issue first arised. People were like, oh, that's him gone in January. I was like, nah, there's no chance they're going to shift him off in January. But it's coming to the stage where I'm thinking he, he genuinely could. And I'd have no issue with that whatsoever because... I wasn't his biggest fan last season, and I've I've said it to Dale more than once. I would have I would have flogged him in the summer. Brian, surely he has to go because uh, as as this podcast is kind of for people listening, you know, a, a lot of the the, the dressing room rest that, that we're talking about, we are kind of all pointing it back to the underlying issue of him, you know, still being at the club, although he's banished from first team activities, it's still a subject that's upcoming. He's not a, he's not um, willing to apologise to Ten Hag. This could just bumble on till January, and again, that's just more negativity. How, how many weeks are we away now? From was it four, three, four weeks since the Arsenal game? Four yeah, weeks? four. I think three weeks before the international break. I mean, what the hell's going on? Like, who? I wonder who advises these people as well. And also, like, there's two adults here, so like, can't someone at the club just drag like? Basically, order him to a meeting and sit down. Have they not actually been face to face since then? I think I think they have, Johnny. I think John Murta stepped in from from rumours. Murta got involved and he tried to broker peace between the two of them and failed. So, the club well, tried. literally via a face to face meeting, though. And like, apparently, so yeah, apparently, yeah. so yeah. And, so, it, 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 from, from what I, from what I've been hearing on it, is that Sancho, since he issued the statement, is not apologetic for it is reluctant to change his stance and is no showing no signs whatsoever he's going to do that. Well, if it, if it's got to that stage, it, it's, it's surely irreparable because mm. if, it, if they've been face-to-face and this is not in the heat of the moment, this is like a fortnight after the event, and he's still not apologised to the manager, the club, it doesn't matter how much money they lose on Sancho and they're going to lose a fucking shed load. If they set this precedent again, like they did with Mourinho and Pogba, where they clearly back Pogba over Mourinho, it's fucking no. You might as well sack. You might as well send Ten Hag back to Holland now, because what fucking chance does he have? None. It's a waste of time. Even how do they spin it? Like, I mean, let's just say Sancho seemingly comes out to Ten Hag and apologizes next week. How do they yeah. spin the last two, three, four, five weeks? Like, yeah, like a new signing. Yeah, literally. Like, I mean, how, how did the club, how does Tin Hag spin it? I mean, how do they deliver it PR-wise to the fan base that we're going to swallow that they're back mates again? He, he has to, the only way that he can resolve this with the, he's literally, if he appears on telly and says, listen, I've been immature and like, but it's heartfelt and it's genuine and it's not just fucking him reading from an auto cue. Yeah, I love the fans. It's a great club and I, I wanted to come back and play and it's bollocks. We'll all see through it. But if he genuinely has a word or has an epiphany, but like, let's be honest, what's the likelihood of that? It's not going to happen, is it? Right. To be fair, I, I don't think we'd, I don't think we'd swallow it either way. I mean, even if he did come out and say something at this stage, I think we all know it's going to be a lot of bullshit. So it's probably gone to the stage where it is gone too far. They're going to have to ship him in January. 
and he's just going to rot there in the reserves for the next few weeks, which is which is shocking for for an asset that's worth so much money. But not the first asset we've lost that's worth a fortune in the last couple of months, and it's been handled yeah. terribly by the club either. Well, even Saudi Arabia, because I think was it Gerard's club came in for a conversation on the final day of the window. And even they knew that they were in the position of power bargaining because they probably weren't that asked about getting him, but thought, we'll try our hand. We'll probably put a low ball offer in. We've obviously asked for something stupid. And they've said, no, nah, you're all right. So are even Saudi going to pay the money t- so that we can recoup? If we recouped half of what we paid, we'd be happy, given the astronomical wages he's on. Plus the fact that it's been played out so so publicly in the media Every single club that come to the table are just going to go. Well, we know we, you need to get rid of him. We have no, we've no bargaining chip whatsoever. It's literally a case of please give us an extra couple of million, please, please, yeah. because we can't justify not selling him. We can't come to the table and say, oh, he's worth this. Well, he would be worth that if him and the manager were speaking to each other and he hasn't been in the reserves for the last two months. At the yeah. moment, he's worth absolutely nothing to you because he can't play. So we're we're in we're in trouble. And you know. It's absolutely pissing me off lately that all these different situations are arising where we just look like an absolute shambles. Every single week, there's something coming up. It's like the next episode of EastEnders where the next tragedy has happened or the next fucking ludicrous situations come out of the club and oh, we look like a laughing stock every single week. wish they had these script writers. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. They'd, I mean, they'd pay top dollar <laughs> for these script writers. You couldn't write half the stuff. You just you just get tired. You just get tired of the subscribe to the Stratycast. That's all. That's all you need to do. That's where you get your fix for drama. Um, lads, I've got one more question. I'm going to come to Tui for it. So, Brian, get your thoughts first. Are United fans? This is from sorry from John Marcy. Are United fans best to reserve expect expectations until the Glazers do one? In a perfect world where people are reasonable and you're allowed those type of reactions, yes. I don't see it. I don't ever see any kind of long-standing success coming to the club without the Glazers, with the Glazers still there. I mean, we get to, like last season was a great season, fine. But I mean, you see where, where we are again and the amount of shit we've gone through, like we just said, it's like a, it's like an episode of Courier Eastenders. It's ongoing dramas, ongoing shambles, ongoing situations you don't need at the club, unrest, player power, manager issues. It's just never ending. And I mean, I don't, until they do one, no matter how well Tin Hag does, I think he's always going to be stunted. He's always going to be hamstrung by them. He's always going to be hamstrung by the way the club has ran. The club itself isn't operating as a football club should. I mean, like Dale touched on earlier, Tin Hag has come from a club like Ajax, which is an exemplary club for the most part. I know they're having a bit of problems at the moment with the fans breaking into place like we did last year or the year before. But historically, it's been a club that's, Based on youth, similar to ourselves, gives gives youth a chance, brings true players, believes in their own. Um, like Jonathan said again, under Fergie, good structure, well-run club. But now he's come into a myriad of shit that doesn't seem to be clearing any, at all. So ideally, yeah, sit back and, and, and enjoy the ride for what we can enjoy out of it. But I don't think we're going to get a chance to, to, to John. I'd say, John, I don't think you're, you're going to get a chance to see this out and to see what happens with new owners if they don't sell very quickly because eventually the writing's going to be on the wall for Tin Hag, the same as it's been for every manager that's come before him since Ferguson. It's This is a never-ending circle and it's it's a wheel that keeps turning and we're not going to be getting off this anytime soon unless they finally just take the money and fuck off. John, Johnny, um, Brian kind of touches on what you 
kind of alluded to at the start of the podcast about t- being worried about Ten Hag here. Um, your thoughts on fans' reserve and expectations? It's, I mean, it's never going to happen, is it? It's it's Manchester United and expectations of part and parcel, I suppose, of supporting the club. I mean, I like to think I'm quite moderate in my expectations and sort of, as a, as a joke before, I've kind of been beaten into submission when it comes to lowering my expectations and yeah I'll always have a I'll always try and keep a positive outlook but the reality is the reality is yeah I don't think we'll ever be a fully functioning successful football club whilst the Glazers Glazers are around um you look at all these I mean it's sad isn't it you look at all these other clubs with a begrudging admiration for their setup I mean, like Manchester City have just got, you know, they they just run like a well-oiled machine at every level of the club. And I know a lot of it's manufactured and fabricated and it's all, you know, PR stuff. But even behind the scenes and on a football level, they run in a way that, you know, we used to be the pioneers of everything off the pitch, on and off the pitch. Look at the campus. The campus itself. Yeah. We we were the we were the benchmark, we were the blueprint, and now City are and that's been allowed to happen progressively over a decade with our decline, which has coincided with their ascendancy, and, and it's bloody sad to say, but it it is what it is, and I just don't think the Glazers they've never liked they've never been football fans. It's astounding me that five or six siblings have got a multi-billion pound asset on this side of the Atlantic and yet not one of them has ever lived over here for any meaningful period of time. I mean, you'd like to think if you or your siblings had that kind of level of an asset that they'd be a bit more hands-on and seeing what's going on and that's part of the problem because they've just delegated to people that don't know what they're doing and it's just been allowed to decline And, and sadly, I just don't see where you go from here. The other one that, that puts a full stop on this conversation about the Glazers, after the Liverpool furore when we stopped the game and, and everything kicked up in the Super League mess and that, Joel Glazer, chest out, stated he would so, be more involved, he'd be more interactive with the fans, he was going to be more this, more that. We I'm, all knew. We all knew. Yeah. Right, Joel, my, my email address hasn't changed as a season ticket holder. It's very easy to send a mass email to all of us. I believe even like the Fans Forum and Fans Advisory Board, I don't think they've moved to Mexico. Where the fuck is Joel Glazer with after he's all his talk? I mean, do us a favour, Joel. You, you, you crumbled when the fans brought you to your knees and closed the ga- stopped the biggest game in football for us. You, you bent over and said... That's it now. It's all it's, it's like a it's like a married couple when the bloke's been a dickhead and he turns around to the missus and repeatedly says, I'm gonna change. I promise, babe, don't leave me. I'm gonna change. I, I really will. it's gonna be different this time. Joel, it's not different. You're still shagging the brass around the corner. So come on, <laughs> come on, mate. What's what just just sell it up and get out of the club. No one wants you, no one needs you, and you're a lying piece of shit. But well, even even when he was compelled to come out that day and make a statement, and, and he did it on a Zoom call, didn't he? And he had this list of bullet points about what he was going to do with the club, and you're just reading it, and you just knew it was lip service. You knew it was bollocks, and 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 that's manifested itself, because like Brian said, we've heard fuck all from him since, and it's like, 
I don't know if they think football fans are idiots or do they assume that we're all idiots or that we'll just forget things that we, you know, we've all got short term memories or like, because, but ultimately it's all down to the, I mean, I think five or six billion is a phenomenal return on something they basically fucking didn't pay for. But obviously to them, they, they're, they've got a vision in their head where we're going to be successful on the pitch again. And they can make eight billion or ten billion, but the likelihood is under this the way it's run, we're not going to. In fact, the, the value of the club only because it's Manchester United does it retain value. But really, if we keep messing up on the pitch, they're going to make less than six billion in a few years. What do you reckon to today's breaking news that Sir Jim Ratcliffe has decided to buy a minority stake in the club as opposed to trying to buy the club outright? There was the rumors are, are, are and the stories that are coming out of that he's trying to achieve twenty five percent and buy X amount of Class B shares, X amount of Class A, which essentially leaves the Glazers in charge, but gets Sir Jim with a foot in the door. Which does that satisfy Sir Jim? Is that what he wants? Does he just want to be involved? Just wants to be one of the lads at the top, or like I mean, his his bids, the rumor bids we've seen from Ratcliffe have been kind of strange in their structure all along because the Glazers have pretty much been left in some sort of capacity involved in the club under his under his bids, whereas we're led to believe the Qatari bid is a complete, full, complete sale. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to see why Ratcliffe is changing his bid to a 25% stake and it's sending shivers down my spine because it would suggest to me the club is no longer up for sale or maybe never was. And he's trying to get the bit of the pie he can possibly get. It sounds like he's desperate. It sounds mm-hmm. like... Well, look, it goes back to when all this started in November and we knew in the summer, although the, club, the Glazers didn't announce at the time that the club was for sale, not this summer gone, but the previous summer last year, um, Radcliffe kind of thrown his hat into the ring and kind of made it clear that if United were available, that he would be amongst the bidders. Then when they announced that he was one of the bidders, you know, I didn't really trust the whole thing because... I think it was everyone's opinion at the start that Qatar could blow Inuos and Jim Radcliffe out of the water if they really wanted the club. Um, not saying for one second I'd be comfortable with us becoming a victim of sports washing, but w- when it now comes to what we're seeing with, with, with Jim Radcliffe, it raises more questions because <clears throat> the Glazers having a minor- or majority stake in the club means they're retaining full control or, or have majority control. It, the slap in the face to the fans. You know, Jim Radcliffe met with the 1958% pitchers a few months ago, you know, posing with fans, saying he's a boyhood, boyhood United fan and all this malarkey. Crap. He was bidding for Chelsea not long ago. You know, and, and, well, if that was such a, um, uh, a serious bid, why did he make his first offer after the deadline? You know, plus, plus it, the it, yeah, like there's been there was a big outcry. Nineteen fifty eight got it in the neck from fans for declaring they wanted or they backed the full sale only, which meant everyone thought in, immediately they're pro Qatar, which it wasn't what it suggested. Their suggestion was, regardless who the bidder is, we wanted to be a full sale, get the Glazers out. So it was taken up completely out of context. But Radcliffe's bid, we're we're stuck in a funny situation with this club. There's only a handful of people globally who can afford to buy it. So we're in a situation where your potential buyers are minimal. 
our our potential bidders haven't been ideal. If you were to ask for an ideal owner, I don't think anybody would say, I want Qatar straight off because of obvious issues that we, we can only need to discuss now, but we've all talked them to death. And then Radcliffe, Radcliffe has set out his stall with bids that just literally haven't ticked the box for the fans. I mean, there's always been an element of Glazer remaining there, which I think, funnily enough, pushed a lot of people. If you're given a choice between A and B, and A is Radcliffe plus Glazers in some capacity, or B is Qatar, I think a lot of people chose Qatar simply because the Glazers were no longer involved in the club, but not so much they wanted Qatar. I, I vehemently don't want Qatar to buy the club. I've stated that numerous times. At the same time, I don't particularly want Ratcliffe to buy the club. So it's a, it's a really shit situation to be in because if we do get to the day where we finally get rid of the, the gimps as we know them as, we're getting two potential bidders coming in. Neither of the two owners, neither of the two owners do it for me. But like I say, we're in a situation where there's only a handful of people that have that kind of colossal power of, of finances behind them to get the club. We're stuck in a rock and a hard place, but we all want the Glazers out. Every single one of us would, would have said that for years. Only problem is who comes in and when they do come in, what's that going to resemble? I don't think we're ever going to get what we want. You know, no, we, 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 the we bit, want the bit, in the club, but that's never going to happen at this day and age. The, the perfect bidder doesn't exist because the perfect bidder is local, multi, multi-billions, can buy everything out by himself, loves the club, grew up supporting the club. It's not an idyllic world. We're not going to get that because, again, only a couple of people have that kind of money to buy it. And one of them seems to be Qatar and one of them seems to be Jim Radcliffe, who who I think just doesn't, he doesn't have the fucking money. He mustn't have the money behind him because... If every option is either I'll buy this much of it, I can't buy it all now, but I'll buy this much with a couple of lads giving me a few quid around the back, little backhanders, and but he can stay there for a bit. Or now he's gone down to the stage of, oh, this isn't going to happen. Look, I'll try to get my foot in the door somewhere. His bids have been bullshit. And then Qatar coming in going, well, we can buy everything, but you're going to be one of us. And it doesn't... Look at Newcastle. I mean, you can't. I, my point about Qatar has always been the same thing. As a fan base, you can't slag the shit out of Chelsea and City and so many other clubs for so long and then just go, ah, well, do you know what? Fuck it. If you can't beat them, join them. Touching on what you said before, football fans are fickle, aren't they? And that's, I don't know how I'm going to, I mean, I've sort of had a a thought to myself, how would I feel about it? How would I act? And I'm sure you guys have both had those conversations with yourself and other people as well. But, the reality is there'll be plenty that just, I mean, like we've seen, there's plenty that are very much pro the idea of Saudi coming in and buy it, buying it. But, um, or should I say Qatar, not Saudi, Qatar. But the likelihood is, I mean, you might have a few protests here and there, but it's not going to make a difference. They're still going to fill the ground. No one's going to really care. I think it's the fans like us that are probably have to have some conversations with ourselves about how it makes us feel. But uh, yeah, it's like you say, none of these situations are ideal. So you know, what what do you opt for? It's the the one thing with Jim Ratcliffe. Firstly, this proposal today is this buying twenty five percent, but does this include this A and B share bollocks? Do, will this be a active twenty five percent where he actually has some kind of sway? I think I think the structure of it, from what I read earlier, he buys up the available shares, Class A shares that are available on the market, and he 
buys X amount of Class B, the more powerful shares, directly off the Glazers. So I think he's, it's kind of like he's getting, I don't know, I'm not a financial expert, but it looks like he's getting his foot in the door, for, for want of a better word. And I don't think he's going to have, I don't think he'll have a, a cons- will he have a considerable say at 25%, probably. It depends how much he reduces the Glazers' holdings on it, but they're still... But they're, still means think, nothing to us if they have no, a majority no, power no. over the club. Yeah, they're yeah, still yeah. there. They're still yeah. there, yeah. So I don't know why... But, but look, we, 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 we could go on till the cows come home about the Glazers. And the the other thing about this, and it's, it's frustrating, and I'm sure it's annoying you too as much as me, is with these developing stories over this saga... I know, Johnny, you've covered some, you know, transfer stories in the past and all that. But, you know, when it comes to this kind of takeover, it's not even worth getting involved in in, in a reporting capacity because all you're hearing is contrasts and information. You have two parties. You've got uh, Inuos and Qatar that are both saying confident and, you know, their own PR and spin. There's nothing worth trusting. Sunday night, you'd Neil Custis come out claims that he made three times now that Qatar are going to be successful. yet. Today, you've had more of the media pack report on what's happening at Inua, suggesting that they're the ones that are kind of having talks with the Glazers. So there's a lot of mumbo-jumbo around. Johnny, I want to thank you for coming on the Stratycast tonight. It's been fantastic having you back on. I know there's been a lot of negativity we've had to get through, but I do think our listeners really enjoyed the insight you gave and as well as that Fred's input. Yeah, Fred. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Enjoyed, like I say, I do occasionally get the urge to just come and talk United like this. And uh, just very quickly to end as well, on from the bits of transfer reporting that I did do a while ago, a thankless task that it was, I always used to say to people, like, it's hard to find information out because think about it logically from this perspective. These are multi-million, like, this is just on transfers. So I'll tie it in with the actual sale of the club as well. But like, say, for example, if you've got a £50 million muted transfer, why is some agent, or I know they'll have their own agendas, but why are you really going to be, what's their incentive to tell you information that could jeopardise a potentially £5 million payout for them? And and if you actually exaggerate that a hundredfold when it comes to selling the club, of course, it's going to be very tight-lipped and it's going to be very hard for any journalist to cultivate a relationship and find out actual information of the inner workings of a deal to buy Manchester United. So actually concurring 100% with what you said, it's just hot air. We're all just speculating and we're all guessing and we're all... Really, all, the crux of it is if the Glazers want to sell, they'll sell. If they get a big amount of money that they think that'll do, they'll sell. But aside from that, we stuck with him. That's it, Johnny, I hope the next time you come on, we're on about a run of wins and, and a bit of positivity because, look, I've enjoyed this even though it's been a downbeat episode. Brian, um, brilliant as ever. How can people follow you on social media? They're sadistic enough that they want to follow my bollocks at Day Tripping Red on Twitter. I'd prefer if you didn't or you can save yourself the hassle of listening to my nonsense. Johnny, are, are you um are you tweeting every now and again or, or not at all? No, you can, you can come and have a look at my blank timeline if you want. My blank profile uh, at Jonathan Schrager. Yeah. What's the pun on the account at the moment? Is it ten 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 shags? No, I've only got uh, ten shags. I was going to say I've been I'd be lucky these days. Um, <clears throat> don't know what time period that's over. Um, no, I've just got the little low. 
you know, like the the Hodgland with the little wine. <laughs> yes, 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 very good. There's always yeah. something clever on Johnny's account, so it is worth checking. But yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it and uh, give us a shout again. I always say the same, but I'm always up for doing it. Everything I'm, I'm useless if it's like a, every week you have to do it, but every few weeks or whatever, it's always fun to chat United. Hundred percent. It's great to get things off our chest, lads. Hopefully. We come back after the Galatasaray game, maybe after Brentford too, with um with wins to talk about. Till then, keep the red flag flying high. Network. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.